0: The early morning pilgrimage to the temple had been well worth it. As they had hoped, Jesus was sitting in the treasury, quietly waiting for them. I'm sure his message was just what they needed, and it was for their ears only, a unique treasure and one they would never forget. But then everything changed, and not for the better. The scribes and Pharisees, who cared nothing for Jesus' message, rudely interjected their own agenda. Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. For a few awful moments, they thought they would be witnessing a public execution and would be even expected to participate. Instead, they witnessed full forgiveness and the complete reinstatement of this frightened woman everyone breathed a sigh of relief and jesus continued his lesson i am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life thou bearest witness of thyself thy record is not true came an angry challenge from the back of the crowd Once again, it was the Pharisees, and when Jesus supplied them with two witnesses to back up his statement, they rejected them. As far as they were concerned, Joseph was his father, and since he was deceased, he didn't count. From this point on, things got really intense. In fact, if I had to give a title for today's lesson, I would call it Straight Talk. Verse 21 Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Only yesterday Jesus had said much the same thing, but this time he added some very ominous words, Ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. These were not the words of a loving Saviour. The previous day he had spoken to the people in compassion and love. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. But there was no come unto me for these men. Rather, ye cannot come. Isaiah had pointed out the danger of procrastination. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. However, the problem with these men wasn't procrastination. No, it wasn't inaction. They had made a deliberate choice. They had shut their ears and closed their eyes to the truth. And by this time, willing ignorance had been turned into judicial blindness. As the old hymn writer has written, There is a line by man unseen that crosses every path. THE HIDDEN BOUNDARY LINE BETWEEN GOD'S MERCY AND HIS WRATH. YE SHALL SEEK ME, AND SHALL DIE IN YOUR SINS. WHITHER I GO, YE CANNOT COME. YES, THOSE WERE SERIOUS WORDS, BUT THEY ONLY MOCKED HIM. VERSE 22, WILL HE KILL HIMSELF, BECAUSE HE SAITH, WHITHER I GO, YE CANNOT COME? WHAT'S HE TALKING ABOUT? Is he going to commit suicide? And then Jesus laid it on the line. Verse 23. Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. This was the third time that Jesus warned them, ye shall die in your sins. It was high time they stopped laughing and started listening. And not only had he told them they would die in their sins, he told them why. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. However, they still had a chance, for he was still using the word if. But the point I want to make here is this, even though our sins are the root cause of God's condemnation, they in themselves will not keep us out of heaven. As we noted in a previous lesson, there are as many sinners in heaven as there are in hell. No, our sins will not prevent us from entering the pearly gates, but our rejection of the Lamb of God will. FOR IF YE BELIEVE NOT THAT I AM HE, YE SHALL DIE IN YOUR SINS. VERSE 25 Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Have you ever noticed when government or big business wants to delay action on a particular problem, they reserve it for further study? That's what these men were doing. They didn't need more information. They needed to act on the information they already had. That's why Jesus said, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. No, Jesus had never been backward in supplying information about his identity. Actually, that's the chief reason why they hated him. He had publicly proclaimed the fact that he was the bread of life and the light of the world. And when they accused him of making himself equal with God, he readily agreed. In fact, he had totally infuriated them by claiming powers that could only belong to God. Remember what he said in John chapter 5, verses 21 to 23? For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And that was only the beginning. He went on to give them other examples of his equality with God, and even supplied four witnesses to back up his statements. No, the last thing in the world they needed was more information, and Jesus didn't give them any. He simply said, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. And speaking of the beginning, one of Jesus' four witnesses had been actively involved in giving out information from the beginning of creation. Yes, from the very moment our first parents sinned, God's Word began to talk about a Redeemer. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And the coats of skins that God had provided to cover their nakedness pointed to the fact that without the shedding of blood is no remission. Yes, God's word has always pointed the way to the Son of God, And Jesus had personally told these men where to look. John 5 and 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. No, they didn't need more information. They needed a change of heart. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Returning to John chapter 8, verse 26. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Some day Jesus will be the judge of all the earth, and when that time comes there will be many things to say and to judge concerning these men. However, this was neither the time nor the place to deal with such matters. Their case would be heard when they stood before him at the great white throne judgment. For now I must speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. He had walked all the way back from the Mount of Olives in order to fulfill that commission, and had been repeatedly hampered by their interruptions. There would be time enough to judge them at a later date. Verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. From the context, it would appear that Jesus was addressing the Pharisees. However, there were others standing within the sound of his voice. Certainly his class would still be there, and I'm sure his words were having a profound effect on them. And no doubt the sudden introduction of the woman taken in adultery and the dispute that followed would have attracted a crowd of curious onlookers. So when verse 30 says many believed on him, it's quite possible that they came from all of these groups. Let's take another look at these words which had so profoundly affected them. Verse 28. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. THE FATHER HATH NOT LEFT ME ALONE, FOR I DO ALWAYS THOSE THINGS THAT PLEASE HIM. AS WE ALL KNOW, WHEN JESUS' PUBLIC MINISTRY CAME TO A SUDDEN END, AND HE HAD TAUGHT HIS LAST LESSON, THERE WAS STILL MUCH WORK TO BE DONE. SOMEHOW, IN SPITE OF THE TESTIMONY OF JOHN THE BAPTIST, JESUS' OWN MIGHTY WORKS, THE WITNESS OF HIS HEAVENLY FATHER, AND THE TESTIMONY OF THE SCRIPTURES, there would still be multitudes left unconvinced. Unthinkable, but true. Of course, the opposition of the religious leaders had greatly contributed to their reluctance. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. However, as Jesus indicated here in verse 28, there would be a fifth witness. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. Yes, His crucifixion and the events that followed it would have a powerful effect on the people. Just as the brazen serpent had been lifted up in the wilderness and had brought life to many, so Jesus' crucifixion would sweep many into the fold. Ironically, that final blow that his enemies hoped would obliterate his memory forever would be the very thing that would manifest his glory. John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. NOW SHALL THE PRINCE OF THIS WORLD BE CAST OUT, AND I, IF I BE LIFTED UP FROM THE EARTH, WILL DRAW ALL MEN UNTO ME. YES, WHAT HIS TEACHINGS AND MIRACLES HAD NOT YET accomplished, HIS CRUCIFIXION WOULD. THINK OF THE HARDENED CENTURION, WHO WHEN HE SAW THE EARTHQUAKE AND THOSE THINGS THAT WERE DONE, CONFESSED TRULY THIS WAS THE SON OF GOD. Think of the effect on the dwellers in Jerusalem, when the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many." Yes, this tremendous outpouring of God's power would be enough to soften the hearts of many and provide a harvest just ripe for the picking. Oh, there was no doubt that the healing of the lame man at the temple had stirred the hearts of many. And there's no doubt that Peter preached in great power. But no amount of eloquence on his part could account for the tremendous harvest that literally fell into his hands. Acts 4 and 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And I wonder what effect this fifth witness had on those unbelieving Pharisees. As the years went by and they looked in vain for their Messiah, would they ever consider the possibility that they might have killed the prince of life? Yes, this fifth witness was very effective, and it would continue to be. John chapter 8 and verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. No doubt Jesus' words had called forth believers from the early morning class, the curious lawn lookers, and even one or two of those stubborn Pharisees. However, their response makes one wonder what they actually believed. Verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That was an interesting statement, wasn't it? If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Certainly salvation is by faith and by faith alone. However, if we want to be Jesus' disciples rather than perpetual babes in Christ, we must continue in his word. Yes, we must obey Christ's commands. Of course, Satan doesn't want Christian disciples, or even Christians at all, so he has always spread the lie that obedience to Christ brings bondage. Nothing could be further from the truth. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Once again, Jesus was misunderstood. Verse 33 They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus wasn't talking about national freedom. He was talking about spiritual freedom. But they immediately took offense. It was that old genealogy thing again. They were Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. What a denial of the facts. They were presently in bondage to the Romans, and their history was one long record of disobedience and bondage. If it wasn't so pathetic, their statement would have been almost comical. Undeterred by their prickly response, Jesus carefully explains the other side of the coin that is spiritual bondage. Verse 34. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house for ever, but the Son abideth ever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Yes, obedience to Christ's commands brings freedom, not bondage. Let me illustrate my point. Some years ago, our family owned a little Shetland sheepdog by the name of Heidi. Our eldest son, John, who has always loved animals, undertook the job of training her. As it turned out, she was a quick learner and a very obedient dog. I guess you could say she was a little more obedient than her master. John knew that the city by-law required all dogs to be kept on a leash when in public but he just couldn't do it, and he got away with it because Heidi was so obedient. That was one of Heidi's good qualities, but she had a problem. She never understood how dangerous traffic was. However, because of her obedience, that was never a real problem. When they went for a walk and needed to cross the street, Heidi would stop and look up at John. No, she never looked for cars. She looked at John. When everything was clear, John would move his hand and say, OK, that was the signal she was waiting for. She would bound across the street, looking neither to the left or to the right. When John went into a store, where of course dogs weren't allowed, he would simply say, stay, and Heidi would sit outside. She might fidget a bit and look through the door, but she stayed. None of this is possible in the life of a disobedient dog. Whether the law required it or not, they must be kept on a leash. They can't run, as all dogs simply love to do. All they can do is pull at the leash and make life miserable, for themselves and, of course, for their master. The man wants to walk, and the dog wants to run, but unfortunately they're bound together. And then there's that whole thing about investigation. Dogs want to stop and sniff, but their masters want to keep going. Two different gears and two different interests, and the whole thing becomes a tug-of-war. Heidi had no idea there were problems like that. As long as she kept her eye on John, she was free to run ahead or lag behind and investigate. Her master could enjoy his walk, and Heidi could enjoy her run. Now I ask you, Which of these dogs was free? Verse 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. Certainly this part of Jesus' message would have been directed squarely at the Pharisees. They were Abraham's seed, but so was the rich man who was in hell. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. Yes, they were Abraham's seed, but they weren't God's children. Jesus had always maintained that God was his father. However, they had refused to believe him. Well, Jesus didn't accept their genealogy either. Verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. THEN SAID THEY TO HIM, WE BE NOT BORN OF FORNICATION, WE HAVE ONE FATHER, EVEN GOD. JESUS saith UNTO THEM, IF GOD WERE YOUR FATHER, YE WOULD LOVE ME. FOR I PROCEEDED FORTH AND CAME FROM GOD, NEITHER CAME I OF MYSELF, BUT HE SENT ME. WHY DO YOU NOT UNDERSTAND MY SPEECH, EVEN BECAUSE YE CANNOT HEAR MY WORD? YE ARE OF YOUR FATHER THE DEVIL and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Yes, Jesus was speaking plainly now, and he was clearly setting down the lines of demarcation. Ever since the days of Adam and Eve, and even before, There has been a struggle between light and darkness, and so it was here. Verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Yes, there are two sides and two fathers. And as we all know, children often bear a family resemblance. Sometimes the way they look and the way they act is almost uncanny. And that's not only true of the human family. We are told in Scripture that Jesus is the express image of his heavenly Father. And do you remember what he said to Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Well, the Pharisees claimed they were the sons of Abraham, but they didn't bear the family resemblance. Abraham believed God, and they didn't. Abraham followed God, and they fought against him. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and they were doing their best to get rid of him. No, they bore the image of a different father. Verse 44, ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Lies, hatred of the truth, and murder. Yes, they manifested all the characteristics of their father. And their only defense was to hurl insults. Verse 48, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Just like the crowd in chapter 7, they said he was demon-possessed. Jesus lost no time in rejecting that remark. Verse 49, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. However, his reaction to being called a Samaritan was quite different. Certainly there was never any doubt that he was a full-blooded Israelite. This thing about being a Samaritan was nothing more than a racial slur. You see, Samaritans were a despised nation because they were only half-breed Jews. So when a proud son of Abraham wanted to insult somebody, he called him a Samaritan. However, Jesus, who had vehemently denied any connection with Satan's kingdom, didn't seem to be insulted. The fact is, he had spent two of the best days of his public ministry among these despised people. Yes, it was a time for plain speaking, and as we all find out next week, this confrontation would soon escalate into violence. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it amazes us when we see the reception that Jesus got, the one who had come to seek and to save that which was lost. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be his disciples, to be obedient, and to find true freedom. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.